Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Do you want to talk about why PBTA is uh, still relevant? Yeah, I still like them. Super hot take edition. (laughs) (laughs) Cue music. Is it? Is it super hot? And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm your host who rolled a six minus, Phil. <laughs> and I am your host who rolled a ten plus, Senda. And also, there's some things we should tell you really quickly before we get into the episode tonight. The first one is, I'm not editing this. So I'm sorry, because the second one is, I'm really hyper. (laughs) We're a little extra funny tonight. (laughs) We're a little extra tonight. I don't know if funny really fits into that, but hopefully, hopefully that's how it comes out. I don't know. But the key part of this is, I'm not going to edit it. So I apologize. You will find the outtakes embedded within the show itself. Tiny little Easter eggs of joy. (laughs) The reason we're not editing this is this is once again one of our chit-chat episodes, which are unscripted, unedited uh, chats between you and I, uh, where we talk about uh, whatever's on our minds. In this case tonight, it's going to be a gaming topic. Uh, But before, we've done things like gaming things that are giving us life and things that are giving us life in the kitchen, and we'll do more of those as well. But this is kind of part of our way of coping with the um, ongoing pandemic, which was to um, be kind to ourselves and um, take our show um, down a notch from being uh, tightly scripted and high and and craftily edited to uh, a lot more organic, just us chatting and uh, not really editing anything along the way. So we apologize in advance for any ums and ahs, because there'll be some. (laughs) We're going to talk over each other a few places and some giggling and some other stuff. (laughs) All right, cool. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> I might have overhyped the uh, opening have, with the super hot super take hot edition. Take? That was a super Twitter-like thing of you to say. <laughs> it really was. And <laughs> it only tangentially relates to the show tonight. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to tonight we're gonna talk about genre emulation, but I wanted to talk about how I got, how I kind of came around um, to suggesting this topic to you, which was that um, over the last week or two, there's been a whole bunch of chit chat on Twitter um, about the relevancy of PBTA. Is PBTA still relevant? Is it really that special? Um, are the mechanics that unique? On and on and on. And um, so I had my own feelings about this, and I like picked up my phone and I was like, I'm gonna go share the world my thoughts on this. And then I was like, at 240 characters at a time, <laughs> this will be difficult. And we have our own platform by which we can have a much more nuanced discourse about such a thing. So I was like, I am not going to post on anybody's hot take about this. I am and instead, not throwing away my tweet. That's right. I'm not throwing away my, my tweet. tweet. Yep. Okay. Um, so I was like, cool. I'll just save it for a topic for the show. And I talked to you about it um, uh, like earlier last week and you were in agreement. We thought it was a cool idea to do a show. And so 
what I want to basically say is that uh, I'm going to say I'll say a thing, then you're going to say a thing, and then we'll get into genre emulation. Is that um, I don't think it's I don't think there is an argument for whether PBTA is valid or not. Um, I don't think any one game design ever becomes invalid. Uh, there are people who are still playing BX D&D and having a great time, which means that that design is still valid. Um, I think that there is probably um, a different discussion about should designers move on to other things from PB from just making PBTA games? Because for certain, over the last 10 years, the Indian uh, the indie environment has been making a whole lot of PBTA games. Yeah. Um, which we've both have been enjoying and both have been playing. Yes. And um, done some designing. <laughs> and have ourselves. designed our own PBTA <laughs> game, which is also a place where I feel like we speak with a little authority, um, having not only played many of them, and you've played many of them on SAS Geek, you've played many of them uh, in your personal life. I've run um, just, you know, I've run a bunch, you've run a bunch, I've played a bunch, and I'm, we've designed. My game group right now we literally just started a cartel campaign and i love it but speaking of powered by the apocalypse right that's what we're playing right now so i don't think you're in disagreement right like i don't no i'm not in disagreement at all i mean i think the interesting thing is um we spent a lot of time um in sort of design space really excited about the idea of powered by the apocalypse and um i think that we're kind of past the point where we're using or where we need to keep making games that use those mechanics in a basic way. And we're into the land of using those mechanics in a really cool way, which makes them remain relevant, right? Because I think that we're still seeing evolutions on those mechanics and the ways that people can use them. And sometimes those look really different, like Bluebeard's Bride. And sometimes... At first blush, they kind of look the same, like Passion de la Passiones, but like they lean so hard into the stuff that Powered by the Apocalypse specifically does so well that they become brilliant, right? So what is the thing that Powered by the Apocalypse does so well? Yeah, and I think that brings us back around to our topic for tonight, yes, uh, which is genre emulation, right? Uh, both of us are in agreement that PBTA games do genre emulation the best, which I think is interesting uh, because the first two most um, prominent PBTA games, right? Um, Apocalypse World, obviously, obviously mm-hmm. and then Dungeon World, which is yep. kind of how um, many, many of us got into uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, um, are not super strong genres. Yeah, and that so, it's... It's super weird, isn't it? <laughs> right. Um, so I think that, and again, I'm going to just say this without any expertise whatsoever. The, how I think how this starts is that, um, you know what? I'm going to pause. Yeah. I'm going to address that a little bit later. Yep. Let's first define some terms because that's yep. what we do best. What is genre emulation, Phil? Thanks. So genre (laughs) emulation is the ability of a game to emulate, that is to uh, play like a certain genre. Yeah. So uh, one, that that definition means that a game has to have a set genre. Yes. Uh, The genre could be broad, 
which I'm not really wanting to use for tonight. So a broad genre could be like, this genre is fantasy. Yeah. But that's like... Dungeon world. Yeah. Right. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. That's not very specific. This or a genre can be very specific. Like this genre is 80s action movies. This genre is Mexican narco fiction. This genre is... um, um, telenovelas. Yes, you're right? now you're listing all the ones that I love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so genre can be both broad and narrow. But for our discussion tonight, what we really want to talk about for genre emulation is the ability to emulate very specific genres, because yes. there are, in my opinion, there are basically two classifications of of um, PBTA games. There are games, there are PBTA games that uh, have a very specific genre. So ones I just named, Cartel, mm-hmm. uh, Action Movie World, uh, Passions, Passiones, um, Masks. Heroin. Heroin, right? Very mm-hmm. specific genres. And then there are other ones that are very broad, which uh, Dungeon World falls in, Uncharted Worlds falls in. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other ones, but I- I'll leave it at those. Those are are far more, um, far more broad-reaching um, uh, genres. Okay, so genre emulation is the ability for a game to emulate the genre of the material it is based on. Yes. So a game that has good genre emulation for something like Mexican narco fiction makes you feel like when you're playing it that you are playing in the associated media that goes with it. So you might feel like you're playing in an episode of Narcos. Yeah. Or it's specifically Narcos Mexico. Well, and the thing that I will say about that is what that means is that both your successes and your failures should drive you into the actions that enforce the genre. Yes, because as we've talked about before, a genre is a collection of tropes Mm -hmm. and trappings and things like that. Yes. Okay, cool. Good. Okay, so that is genre emulation. Um, Why is genre yeah. emulation <laughs> yeah. like that's always the thing right so that's right. always the thing we go. do on the show right why is that even important why do we care tell us yeah why do we care so i know i care because uh one of the things i love out of gaming is to play certain genres so ever since i was a kid i can remember that my barometer for whether a particular piece of media is uh, great or meh or worse is whether I want to play it as a game. <laughs> and that has not gone away, right? Like That's I just fair. watched, I just watched a, uh, I just watched a movie over the weekend called the, uh, on Netflix called the old guard. And by the time it was done, I was like, holy shit, I would play this as a game. And that is the highest compliment that I can bestow on a piece of media as a slight sidebar. I don't like passive uh, entertainment as much as I like active entertainment, meaning that reading a book is nice, watching a show is nice, but I would rather play it as a game. So when a genre, when a, when a piece of media does something that's so in, so perfectly in tune for a genre that I'm like, damn, I want to play this as a game 
that to me is the highest compliment. And when a game can do that for me, when a game can scratch that genre itch, right? That's when I know um, it's good. Like for instance, I was sold on masks, I think in one sentence, which was basically this game emulates young justice. And I was like, bam, take my money. I want to play young, <laughs> young justice, justice. Yes. The, the role-playing game. Yeah. Um, so the thing that I was going to say is for me, what I've learned is being able to hone in on very specific genres does two things, right? It, it does one thing, which is very similar um, to what you said, which is that I can very clearly anticipate what this game should feel like when I play it. And without even reading the rules or anything, that can tell me a lot about if I'm going to like it, if I'm going to like running it. And once I start running it, if I'm doing it right, or if the mechanics are actually making that genre happen for me, right? Because I understand what the genre is. But the other thing about it is like, A, I mean, there's that, right? Like I, I can look at a game and once I understand where the drama comes from, I know that I will like it or not, right? Like, <laughs> and that's like cross genre. Um, that's why I'm so excited about my cartel game right now because it's all drama and it's making me so happy. But um, but the other thing about um, having really specific genre um, is that for someone like me who does not always have time and did not grow up consuming a ton of outside media, having games that mechanically enforce um, and have a very specific and narrow genre that they can teach you basically is fantastic because I, I frequently have a passing familiarity or a familiarity with something like similar, but like on the fringes of something. We've talked about this before, actually, how to how to like bend things um, that you do know when they are sort of similar and then use those tropes in something else. Right. And that's because I do that all the time. And so when a game has a really strong specific genre, then I understand both what it's trying to do and how the pieces that I do already know fit into it. I have never seen Narcos. I have never like, like police drama, like narco. This is, this is not media that I have ever consumed in my life. Right. I didn't watch. Um, what was the most recent one that everyone was super into? Bald dude, chemistry teacher. Oh, breaking bad. Right. I didn't watch the show. <laughs> I haven't seen it. So like a lot of the touch points that I think that other people would have, I don't have. But because the genre is super specific and because as we're going to talk about, the genre emulation in the game mechanically is very specifically goes hand in hand with that. I can play that game. I'm not worried about it. I, I'm not scared about breaking genre. It's super fun. And I'm getting all the goodness that I want out of it. So I'm going to extend what you said one yeah. bit further. Yeah, do okay? it. So, every, so everything you said, yes. plus yes. the other thing that a, a game that emulates genre really well does is it actually teaches you the genre. Oh, yeah. I've learned a ton about Narcos already. Yeah. And to that, <laughs> to that point that like one day, if you ever do watch Narcos, which would probably have some involve me in some way or form, um, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you'll watch it and be like, oh, yeah, of course, that character, like that's El Narco. 
Right. Right. Like, like I get because this. you'll yeah. right because you'll know the right you'll know the genre right. Like, oh, Ladanya. Right. Like uh-huh. there's the wife, um, and you'll see that play out. And that's the other really cool thing about games that jo- that emulate genre well is that uh, not only do they create the um, the boundary the space boundary for you to play in, which helps you stay inside the genre. Yes. But you actually learn the genre. Yes. As a part of it, like for instance. I had a passing understanding of how telenovelas worked. Yes. But having played Passio and Passio Days. <laughs> like um, a way stronger understanding. <laughs> way stronger understanding. And not only just understanding, an appreciation. And yes. then also, uh, and I forget who was mentioning this to me, but it was some, was one of, my, one of our friends, because I was talking about this as well. And they said, um, I think maybe it was Schmitty, that they never understood uh, wrestling. Oh, yeah, until, it was Schmitty. It was definitely Schmitty. Un- yeah. They didn't understand wrestling until they played worldwide wrestling with Nathan Paletta. And then they were like, oh, I get it. I get this. Yes. <laughs> right? like, I get what's going on here. So that's the other really cool thing. So on one hand, the first point is, right, genre emulation uh, allows you to play in a genre that you uh, will enjoy. Yep. Two, um, it creates a space for you. Uh, to play inside of that emulates the genre. Right. Which, and by which way, key thing is there that you don't have to be an expert in that genre to correct. engage in it and do it. Yep. And then finally, um, the last part is then, um, which is like 2A, is that it also then teaches the genre. Now, yeah. genre is not unique to PBTA games. No. Every game has genres. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And the question is, how well does a game emulate its genre? Because one of the critiques that um, you will sometimes hear about a game is, yes, this game is a insert genre, right? The, yes, this game is a high fantasy game, um, but it plays like something else, yes. or it doesn't, or it 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 it. it it has all the trappings of a high fantasy game, but it doesn't feel like, here's that yeah, word, right? It doesn't quote, feel, feel like. With bunny quote, ears. Right. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a high fantasy game or a low fantasy game. Or um, another one that'd be really important is like, does this game feel like Star Trek? Yeah. Or Star Wars, honestly. Or, oh, right? Like, cause talk if about you, a game that's had trouble yeah, making if, that emulation. Right? Because if you make a Star Wars game and it doesn't feel like Star Wars, and there are some weird specific things in there that make it feel yep. like Star Wars or not, like, like the fact that you can apparently take down a stormtrooper with some wire and a tree branch, but they're wearing armor. So how good is the armor? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and so... <laughs> And so to that point, right, certain games hit their genre better than others. Now, I'm going to just, I'm going to do the thing because I'm imagining the the imaginary Twitter responses as people <laughs> would be like, well, if the game doesn't do it, the GM can. Yes, the yeah. GM can always game over the game, right? I could make, I could make Car Wars feel like, you know, fantasy if I GM'd it hard enough, right? Like, right, that's, that's not the point. As a GM, <laughs> I don't want to work that hard. Yeah, the, the idea is that when a game is, when a game is, and I don't want to say good, when, I, when a game is tuned properly, it's genre, it's mechanics, and what the GM is doing as well as the players are all in sync, yeah. Right. It's it, it's it's playing the same jazz tune. 
right? right. And in <laughs> fact, when it all syncs up. So, for example, the very first Powered by the Apocalypse game that I ever ran was Heroin. And I ran it live on mics. And I had never run a PBTA or played one before. And I didn't quite understand how they worked yet. And it didn't really matter. And it didn't matter because... The thing that I did have is that I understand girl coming of age stories really well. So even when I didn't understand the mechanics, I just GM'd my way through that part. But it didn't matter because when the, whenever the mechanics happened, they supported the story that I was making up anyway. So now let me flip that over. <laughs> yes. Because I think we're talking about the same game. Yeah. Yeah. I played heroin. You did. That was I- <laughs> I don't have a yeah. wide breadth of girl coming of age stories because uh, <laughs> I was a boy in the 80s when there were, you know, boy movies and girl movies. <laughs> I like the bunny yeah. there too. So, uh, you know, so I didn't, there were things I didn't watch because, you know, I was a dude. Um, so I show up to the game with no, with, with a passing understanding, right? I've got basically in my belt, I've got Labyrinth. And I got Wizard of Oz, of which sure. of which I've seen I've seen Wizard of Oz like once or twice. I've seen Labyrinth, uh, I think more than once, but in the eighties, right? So I don't really like I don't have anything when I'm showing <laughs> up to this game. But here's the thing: what I do have is I grab the character sheet, I quick check out all the moves, and I check out what's on the character sheet, and I check out what the moves are for the game, and suddenly. I got a pretty good idea of how the genre kind of goes. And by listening to your GMing and kind of picking which move seemed story appropriate, I was able to actually hang in there. And I think I made a pretty okay um, <laughs> companion. That was amazing. Yes. <laughs> uh, which... I loved your companion. (laughs) Which gets us now to the last part of this discussion, which is why do we think PBTA games are so good at genre emulation? And so I'm going to go back to Apocalypse World for a second and Dungeon World, which are... um, So Apocalypse World has a genre, obviously. It's post-apocalyptic. It's not super specific, but here's the thing. And this is just my personal opinion. Other um, scholars of, of RPGs may disagree with me, but I, it's my feeling that um, Meg and Vincent, when they set out to make Apocalypse World, had a very specific idea of the kind of game they wanted to make. Even if it wasn't a genre that we all understood, it was a very specific genre to them, a very specific type of post-apocalyptic game. And so yeah. the structure of how the framework of P- how PBTA works, they were able to basically encode that genre into the game, right? Through, and this is what we're going to talk about in a second, um, through the various parts of the game. And I'm going to save that so that we can talk about it a little bit in a few minutes. Likewise, when... Um, when Adam and Sage took Dungeon World, they made a very... That game, Dungeon World, is a very specific commentary on fantasy. Uh, yeah. Based on, again, some of the same design choices they made using that framework. It's the next hop, which I think can be credited to Monster Hearts, where all of a sudden, 
the idea of taking a PBTA framework and making a very specific genre, in this case, teenage high school monsters, right? Yeah. Brilliant, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> consider the games before it, right? And then consider yes. that, right? Um, well, it's like dread to Starcross. Exactly, right? right? So just this yes. brilliant hop into monster in, into monster hearts. But then we see it all over the place, right? Where PBTA really starts to shine, in my opinion. All credit due. I think Apocalypse World's fantastic. I think it caters to a certain type of a certain um, interest group of players. I think Dungeon World's fantastic. I think it caters to a very large group of um of players, I being one of them, I played a ton of Dungeon World, right? A ton of Dungeon World. But where I really think this takes off is when we start getting into the PPTA games that really get tight on genre. And it's why I think mm -hmm. that um, The Sprawl by Hamish is one of the best um, mission-based cyberpunk games because it does mission-based cyberpunk better than the games that inspired it. Yes. Um, and largely yeah. because of this framework. And so let's talk about, uh, I want to talk about two sides of this framework, which is the GM side and the player side. And do you have a preference with which, with which one you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think tonight I'm going to say player. Cool. Okay. Carry on. S Good thing we planned this totally in advance. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Four years ago, I don't yeah. think I would have left too much of this to chance. Oh, you don't think when when you would write the notes and I would and you would just write stuff and then I would try to figure it out on the fly and then we'd like go back and edit and fix right. <laughs> but I have to say this, like oh, like now I have zero. Like I now the need to edit the show is far less because uh, you are a fantastic designer. Um, you are very scholarly about all of this stuff. And I, I just, I don't feel like we really have to lay down uh, really tight arguments and points because um, you like, you'll run with this. Yeah. Tell me what you're going to talk about from the GM side so that I understand my counterpoint is the player side. <laughs> sure. Sure. The GM side is really easy, right? The GM side in the PBTA framework has agendas, um, principles, and moves, right? And these are the things that basically inform the game master of how to run the game in the genre that uh, that you're that you're conveying through the game. And so some of these, and and when I was writing Hydro Hackers, I went through I think all of the PBTA games I had on my shelf. So I had 26 different PBTA games. And so there are some of these things, agenda, uh, agenda principles, and moves that are universal. Uh, like yeah. be a fan of the players that that one's like yep. that one's almost that one's in almost every one of them. And then yep. there are ones that are super genre specific. Um, yes. So like, for instance, in Hydro Hackers, just because it's the one on the top of my head, there's a principle that says um, um, there's a principle that says everyone thirsts for something. Yeah. Right. So it's a game. Super genre. Specific. Right. It's a game yeah. about needs and it doesn't have to be water. In most cases, it's water, but it could, whatever it is, everybody thirsts for something. Um, mm -hmm. And that helps kind of set the tone of the, of the game. Likewise, if you go and look at the agenda principles and moves in uh, masks, cartel, 
passions, any of those, you will find these things that basically guide the GM into how to run this game so that it emulates the genre that you're playing. And the better a designer has done in building those things into the game, the easier it is for the GM to actually emulate the genre, even if they don't understand the genre, because they can understand the the agenda principles and moves. Yes, which is great. Which is, which is brilliant and so brilliant um, that it's technology that has gotten lifted out of PBTA games and placed into other games. So, for instance, uh, Tales from the Loop has um, a set of principles. Yeah. And, and they work exactly the same way, and they're great. Like, they, they inform the GM, like, you don't kill the kids. Yep, straight up. Like, that's not a thing you need to have a conversation about. We're just going to tell you. Right. It, that's not a thing that happens in this game and in this genre. Right. Don't when do you it. get to its companion game, Things from the Flood. That's different. Then people can be killed. Okay. So now, that's the first half of it, right? The first half of it on the GM side is that um, those three things uh, create the boundary. Those three things of PBTA. Now, there are two things on the player side that also create boundaries. And those are, so the moves that you're actually playing with, um, which it does, um, it's the thing that you're consistently interacting with as you go through the game, because they're the things that you're constantly engaging by having the conversation and telling the story together. What was the other thing that you were thinking of? Playbooks. Oh, playbooks, of course. <laughs> I was like, which, what? Which also have moves in them. So, <laughs> Which have the moves yeah. in them. That's what I was thinking Speci- about the moves. I was like, because there's player, there's like character specific moves and then there's general moves. Exactly. You know. No, no, you're right there. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, what the playbooks do is they inform what types of people you're going to find in this story and then they give you the tools to make that type of person it's still your version of that type of person they're still customized to be someone that you're interested in playing but you can't really screw it up right like you're gonna create a person that fits into that genre because here are the playbooks that fit into that genre right (laughs) yeah and and the moves and the moves that go with them are moves that are very specific to that playbook that make it feel oh yes Oh, I know that none of you will be shocked, but in Cartel, I am playing the wife, and I took the move um, Drama Queen. It's a fantastic <laughs> move. So good. Um, and, uh, you know, but I took that for a reason, because I also knew what kind of thing I wanted to lean into. Do you remember what the move does? Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I remember it super clearly, and I don't have the papers think- right here, but it basically gives me, like, I think it gives me... If I make a scene, basically, then it's like I roll a 10 on a push my luck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically throw a temper tantrum, get what I want. Exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. um, <laughs> Ugh, love it. <laughs> and, and so it's very genre fitting for LaDanya. Now, that's... No, La, la Esposa. Oh, La Esposa. Sorry. La Esposa. You're thinking of Passione. I'm sorry. I was thinking of Passione. Passione. Right. That's La Dania. Yeah. La Esposa. Um, yes. Now, I, um, I've i I've also played Cartel, and I have played the spouse as you the husband. You also played the same And playbook. I took yes. that same move and used yes. it from getting out of um, being taken out to the desert and shot. Um yes. 
That's my my husband, El Narco, his previous wife is in a barrel in a desert somewhere, dead. Yes. So, <laughs> so the other one is the basic moves, right? Yes. Because the the basic moves are the roadmap of what you can do in the game. Right. They're they're the basic expectations of the game, meaning that like anybody at any time these are the things that we expect them to engage in and not just the types of things that you can do but these are the types of pressure and stakes that are going to come to bear on you if you don't succeed yep right which is like a really key thing because what it informs you is what does it look like when you don't completely succeed i mean it tells you also frequently what does it look like when you do completely succeed but like what does it look like when you don't um to me is frequently more important because success is success but where we tend to see a lot of tropes is what does failure look like sure right because like so we talk about dnd for a second like failure okay you shoot your crossbow and you roll a natural one and so you accidentally shoot your friend in the face right like these are tropes about how you play D&D. Um, but if I'm playing cartel and I shoot a gun and I roll a fail, um, I accidentally shoot my friend in the face. Ha 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 ha. That's uh, not really necessarily genre enforcing. Like some weird stuff had to happen, right? It's like way more likely that you fire the gun and you were trying to shoot a warning shot, but you accidentally actually shot someone and now you have to run, right? Sure. Like. <laughs> so I, I will say another thing about genre and um and basic moves so for instance um when i was uh when when i was designing and you were helping to develop um when we were working on um Hydra thank you i lost my spot your, right your game yeah <laughs> no no it's not my game the game it's it, the game. it is our game i, I our game yeah I, the first one <laughs> i i designed you developed and and, and yes. for people who don't know what that means is i wrote stuff down and then you fixed most of it um yes. <laughs> and then i said wait yeah did you realize that this playbook uses a thing yeah. that you don't use anywhere else <laughs> yeah so it, so if you didn't if you if you don't know the difference between design and develop right what some somebody does the somebody put stuff down and the other person looked at it and was like mm, i don't know so when we were working on hydra hackers <laughs> um one of the things in the early early version of the game was that only one of the playbooks had the ability to sneak yes and as a genre, and not that Hydra yeah. Hackers is a genre that everyone knows, but what had emerged from playtesting was that there, like, there was a need for stealth for everybody constantly. in the game constantly, and so constantly because you're not supposed to fight. Correct. So right. So okay. So here's the important part, right? You're not supposed to fight. Yes. Not supposed. And to fight. sneak is important. So what wound up happening in the design in the development of the game is that. Two things happened. One, the fight move is bad, right? It's like very bad. <laughs> yeah. Even even on a ten plus, it's not it's good. It's not good. Yeah. And, and there's no real good outcome for the fight move. Exactly. And 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 to that point, there is a playbook, the um, the neighborhood watch, who has a better fight move because they're the one person in the game who can fight. Yes. And then lastly, to tie it together, we moved the stealth move out of the playbook. We put it into the basic moves, which basically, which informs people that 
this is a way you interact with the game. Now, this is how you this is how you problem solve in this world. Correct. These, this is one of the colors of paint that you can use to problem solve. Now, one of the arguments I saw in one of the Twitter threads was that moves are too limiting. And I will argue that they are limiting and they are limiting because the moves inform the moves are part of the genre emulation. Right. When when you have married the PBTA um, mechanics well with a specific genre, then the limiting factor of having moves and having them be limited is actually something that we like better because it's intentional to limit people into that genre. Right, and and there's one other caveat to this, right? So there are times in PBTA games, because a lot of people will say like, well, there's a catch-all move like Act Under Fire, um, Defy Danger or whatever. And yes, most of them have them. I put, um, I designed one for, uh, as a catch-all for um, Hydro Hackers. So it's there. But there's another piece that's often understated, which is you can just say yes. Yeah, you don't actually have to make people roll. If, I mean, this is this is a wild thing about my particular group. There's, you know, we could have rolled dice at many points during our storytelling, but we looked at our playbooks. We looked at the moves and our goals and like the directions of our characters um, and kind of where we saw them going through the story. We looked at their relationships to each other. We played for three hours and we rolled dice once. And if that's fitting... It- and that's... Fine. <laughs> right. I think that's perfectly fine. And there's a lot of arguments where D&D will go into that as well. Um, and again... Uh, it's different. We were actually engaging the mechanics of the game, even though we didn't roll the dice. And I will actually make that argument because all of the things that made everything tick for that entire session were mechanics that happened in us sitting down, creating characters, and then engaging the game itself. So even though in D&D, when we're like, oh, we only rolled once, okay, that was that's cool. You were telling a story together. You didn't actually engage with D&D. I feel like in Cartel, we actually engaged all of the stuff constantly, but we didn't actually roll I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. I, I, I guess my point was to that is that sometimes a player will say that they're going to do something and it doesn't match up with any of the moves right. and and you can just say yes you did you can it. <laughs> just say yes you don't have to funnel it into the catch all move because the catch all move is there only if the chance of failure is interesting right yes so somebody was like i again and i was just like i i like saw so many twitter threads go by but somebody was like well what so about many. in masks if somebody wants to do something with their power that they're familiar with, like, why would they have to roll unleash your power? And I'm like, well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. There are times when I, right, there are times when I run masks (laughs) where the player will be like, I do this thing and I'll just be like, cool, you do it. Cool, you do the thing. Moving on, like moving on to the next part because that's not the interesting part of the. It's not. Well, and so let's let's say um, another thing and this is a thing that leads to the genre enforcement, I think, of Powered by the Apocalypse. And I also think that it's one of the trickiest things to wrap your head around about Powered by the Apocalypse when you first encounter it is the the notion of the game as a conversation mm-hmm. 
not as basically petitions for action and responses. Yeah. Right. Um, And because of that, what that means is that at any point in the conversation, you could say, cool, I think it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Let's engage the dice part. Um, But if you're engaging in a conversation and using like the rest of the stuff, your playbook information, blah, 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 your relationships, etc. Like, and you're just having a conversation and like, it's more interesting to just keep going. Like you're still playing the game. To the to the point that as long as you don't specifically trigger any of the moves, right? The moves have no. the moves have specific trigger conditions. As long as you've not specifically triggered any of the moves, then yeah, then you're playing yeah. through and you haven't had to actually. Uh, we didn't trigger any moves until the last half hour. That was just how it went. Well, that's there fine. Was a lot of screaming at each other on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> so and again, I think so. To now start to bring this back. Right. Yes. Sorry. To, no. No. It's okay. No. To start. To start. To now bring this back into uh, a final set of arguments. I think that even now, PBTA is still a relevant framework for creating games. But I think that where in the beginning we all wanted to, we as design community, all wanted to make a PBTA game because it was new and novel. Now I think that it's very much now more of a specific tool that one can use when they want to design a game with a very specific genre, whether that genre is a popular genre or they're, they're making up their own genre. Right. I think it's a tool that says, and I've, and I've run into this where, for instance, I think we had this discussion early on when we were looking at ditch lilies Yes. Was yeah, we're like, ditch li- do we design this right. in Powered by the Apocalypse? But what is the genre for ditch lilies, right? right. Like, what is the ditch lily genre? Right. So, I don't know. Exactly. Empire Records? Like, no, what? no, Empire, no, no Empire, it's not. Empire Records no, but is this, damn the man. This was, I know, this was the conversation yes. that we had. Like, what is it? <laughs> so, because of that, we went with a different uh, we went with a different game engine because we were like, well, we need a game engine that has partial successes and you know uh, player mitigation and all of that stuff that's interesting. But we don't actually need to enforce or teach a genre. So PBTA doesn't really feel like the best fit for this game. Yeah. but conversely, i've I've contemplated hydro hackers in several different systems. But ultimately, mm. have always settled like have, have been the most comfortable having Hydro Hackers as a PPTA game because I had some very specific things I wanted to have happen in the game. Like I never wanted players to get to a point where they could hold up the water authority with guns to get water. Right. So right, and you you can't do. There's no like. I mean, I guess you could. You, it wouldn't. It wouldn't go well when it was a fate game. You, you totally could, could have, right? Yes. Because fate is wide open. And if I had just taken weapons as plus four or whatever and had picked a mm-hmm. few aspects about, like, you know, my superior gun skills or whatever, I could hold up the water authority and forcibly steal water. But right. in PBTA, as a PBTA game with the playbooks, the basic moves, and everything else, you just can't. And so for me, for me, what I really loved about that choice was that Hydro Hackers now plays the way I wanted Hydro Hackers to play. Yeah. And it's still, when I think about new game designs, the question I ask myself is, am I trying to emulate a genre? If yeah. I am, 
is there a reason why I would or wouldn't use PBTA? And if I'm not, is there a reason why I feel like I need to versus why don't I just go look at um, a whole host of other engines? Yeah, I mean, for example, PBTA was never something that we had on the table for Turning Point. Oh, God, no. Right? Like, no. it was never even part of the discussion for that game. Um, it, it was like, you know, that it wouldn't have made any sense from square one. We weren't genre emulating at all. No, no. That's not a genre emulation no, game. No, that game solves a different... Um, that, game, that game has a different, a different thing it looks at and a different way it looks at it. Um, and a different premise that it's built around. And you're right. Like, it, it was never going to be... It would never be yeah. a PBTA game. I mean, A, it never would be, but like we didn't even talk about it oh, no. because no. it's not a genre emulation game. But we we should probably start wrapping this up. It's it's tricking us because we have two chunks of no, audio No, no, it's okay. I, I'm, I, so to put a final cap on this, I guess what yeah. we're saying is, one, I think it's great that people are having uh, discussions on Twitter about moving past PBTA because yeah. – because any time that we become beholden to any one framework or engine or whatever, we run into the hammer problem, right? Where if all you have is a hammer, yes. every problem's a nail. And yeah. Where rather we should look at PBTA as a very specific type of tool and we should use it when we need to use that tool. And our supposition for this whole episode has been it is a right and genre. fine tool yes. for genre emulation. For genre emulation. There. Yes. That is, I think, our whole point. Good. I love it. Okay. Well done. In order for us to move to the next section, we need you to tell us about another show on the Instructor Mark Network. Sure. On the Gnomecast, you can join Ange and a bunch of other random gnomes, sometimes me and sometimes Phil. You never know who you're going to get, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Usually some kind of article that's been published on the gnomes do, because that's where we write the things. And uh, they're pretty good conversations. And sometimes we get tossed in the stew if they're not. So you should probably listen. Let us know how we're doing. Fantastic. Say, Senda. Uh, where can people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us in the forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com, or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com, and Phil, once they have that information, what can they do with it? Please, please, please leave a comment, give us a question, a potential topic, something you might want to hear us um, talk about, and uh, we'll be happy to do it. Uh, now that our chit-chats are kind of branching out beyond just the things that are giving us life and are just becoming uh, random things about gaming that we talk about, we're happy to pull in whatever suggestions you have. The thing that we love to do on the show is to talk about the things that you find interesting. Otherwise, all we do is fill the show with Ditch Lily trivia um, <laughs> and Star and Trek that, discussion. Yes. yes, that is a threat. Uh, so that is a threat. <laughs> Don't make us do that. Keep feeding us topics. And we'll keep talking about gaming. Now, if you like what we do here or elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons of the show get access to the Slack Room for Life, which is uh, our collection of just some of the finest Misdirected Mark listeners. I say finest. There are other people who are not patroning that are perfectly fine. I know many of them. They're lovely as well. But... We have we have collected a we have curated a wonderful collection in the Slack Room for Life. Um, you can go chat with them. They're just they're just divine humans. I, I love all of them to pieces. Um, we have daily discussions. We have um, for those of us who are still in lockdown. Uh, we have uh, Friday luncheons where we hang out on uh, Zoom 
during lunch. Uh, we have, um, you can part, you can partake in many discussions, come hang out with us and do the uh, Star Trek watch uh, party, which you can do whether yeah, although you're a patron you don't or not. have to be a patron. Now you just yeah, have to go to the forums come for chill it. with us. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, other goodies, like, you know, we occasionally give people stuff. I, I will say that that's not as big, has been a big of a thing during 2020, but I assure you that um, as we all go back to whatever normal is going to be someday in the future, that um, patrons get goodies. They just do. We like to give them goodies. Ah, now there is another thing um, that you could do for us uh, that would help us with our "if you listen to us, you will love us" um, advertising campaign, uh, and it's a thing that you do um, anywhere where you uh, listen, where you curate your uh, fine podcast collection. Uh, but specifically, there's an Apple one, right? What 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 would you do there? <laughs> Well, you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice anywhere that you are aggregating your shows from. Usually you can rate them. And what that does is it lets people know that you like our show and then it pushes us up so that more people find the show. And then Phil doesn't wander around with headphones and questionable consent issues. Sticking headphones on people's heads. Oh, Making them listen to our show. That makes sense. We don't do that anymore. Sorry. I got a little scared. I was like, wait, what questionable consent thing am I doing? No, okay. No, actually, Phil is really, really good at consent, so don't make him do it. Um. I would definitely ask you if you wanted to put on my headphones. It's weird because I'm wearing buds and that's kind of icky. Oh, that would be gross. And now in COVID land, and now in COVID land, I'm definitely not going to get that close. No, and you're probably not going to get that close to anybody. No. um, Really? So maybe from a distance, like. Yelling, hey, do you want to I hear a thing? And then hitting, it. I could, yes, I could in eighties style, I could put it on a boombox and stand and hold it out that's, for you. That's the way. But I don't want to get in trouble for standing out in front of people's windows with a boombox playing our show. So, um, anyway, so the the moral of the story is, you should probably leave us a rating or review. Thank you so much to everyone who already has. Fan- this is why Phil's not in the street with a boombox. <laughs> Fantastic. Say, Senda, what's the next PBTA game you want to play? <laughs> um, After Cartel? But I'm so excited about Cartel. I'm going to tell you that mine... This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Clicky. Clicky. See, that was an art. Two, one, let's jam. Did you, um, Schmitty posted that thing about um, man listens to 30 minutes of, of, of jazz, jazz only to realize they just like Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. But remember, we're not doing stuff at the beginning. That's just like, that's just a little, that's a little morsel for the beginning of the show. A morsel. What a good word. Morsel. Yes. I usually only hear that in reference to like, chocolate chips <laughs> yeah it's the amuse bouche for tonight <laughs> as long as it's not a hamburger <laughs> let's just be clear that a hamburger there is no kind of hamburger that is 
and a musbouche. Just a McDonald's hamburger is no. hardly hardly food at all. I it mean, is it, is, it is. It's, it is. It's an amuse bouche in comparison I, to what I ate that night. Does that make you feel better? No. Am I winning? I feel like I'm winning. No, but I have to agree that McDonald's hamburgers are hardly food at all. I just don't think that they qualify as an amuse bouche. That is also fair. Um, we should now do the show because this is yes. this is dangerous after show territory okay, showing okay. up at the beginning so, of the show. We're going to do a 10 count so that I know where the beginning of the show is like we did last time. That was very beautiful and made my life very easy. And if only we had done that at the end as well. <laughs> but we didn't. Bloop. <laughs> 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 